Good morning. Uh, you know, I want to begin uh, with just a, a quick Happy Mother's Day. And I'd like to spend a great deal of time talking about uh, all the mothers in my life, all the mothers in our church, uh, and, and just how thankful I am for them, which, which is all true, uh, but my sermon's about Jesus. <laughs> um, and so I think I will stick to that. Uh, this morning we're in uh, 1 John chapter 5, our, our epistle lesson. Um, it's printed in your in your bulletin, or uh, or if you're one who who brings your Bible with you to church, or or if you're a Bible on the phone type person, you can you could turn there with me, or scroll there with me, whatever uh, whatever you use. Uh, I'm just going to kind of dive right into this text um, and sort of let John's epistle uh, guide our our teaching this morning. Uh, John writes, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. So John begins and says, if you're willing to believe men, whether it be because of their their position, their authority, their rhetoric, their, their speaking abilities, if you're willing to believe men, well, then you should believe God. Because God's testimony is greater than the testimony of any man. And, and his point here is actually that his testimony, the word that he's writing and speaking to the church, isn't just the testimony of a man, but it is in fact the testimony of God himself. And the content of that testimony is rather simple. Verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. John's testimony God's testimony, actually, through John, is clear, it's simple, it's quite straightforward. If you have the Son, if you believe in the Son, if you trust in the Son, you have life. And not just temporally, you have eternal life. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. It's that simple, that clear. And John's entire ministry, his letter... And in fact, all the scriptures are aimed at making this point known. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants us to have eternal life. He wants us to know that there's eternal life found in Jesus. This is reminiscent of the way that he ends chapter 20 of his gospel account. Right? He says that, You could write countless books. All the books in the world could not contain the things that Jesus said and did while He was on earth. But then He says what? These have been written so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in Him, you may have life in His name. John's letter, his testimony, the testimony of all of scriptures, they all unify together to speak with one voice a clear and simple message. And that is that there is eternal life in Jesus. 
one testimony, one voice, all the voice of God pointing us where life can be found. Which should perhaps cause us to ask, what, what voices, what testimonies are you listening to? What, what voices are you hearing and what are they saying? And I'm not talking about the voices that you talk to your therapist about. But what voices in the world around you are you hearing? And how do you discern which ones you listen to and which ones you don't? What voices, what testimonies do you accept and which ones do you reject? I think most of the time, the way that we discern this, the way that we decide which ones we're going to listen to, is just simply by asking which voices, which testimonies in life have my best interest in mind? Which voices, which testimonies are after my good? And I think a lot of times, the way that we decide which ones have our best interest in mind, which ones have our good in mind is by simply asking, well, does this voice, does, does what this testimony is saying, does it make me happy? Happiness frequently ends up being sort of the key factor for how we discern what we're going to listen to, what we're going to accept, and what we're going to reject. Right? Because after all, happiness is, is part and parcel to sort of the experience of being an American. Right, think of the Declaration of Independence, right? What is the, the defense, the, the work of government is to defend what? Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We are bent on chasing after happiness. I mean, think about how much the voices around you are promising happiness. Think about how much media we consume in a single day. Whether that's through the newspaper, the radio, television, social media, all of it, and how much of it, what percentage of it is aimed at promising happiness. Every advertisement is aimed at selling a product that promises what? Happiness. If you buy this, your life will be more free. This will make things more convenient. You'll have more free time and you'll be happier. I think about how much political conversations revolve around happiness. That this policy will make things better for this many people and so life for all of us will be happier and happier and happier. About how much the voices in our world, they promise happiness. And it's not just voices out there, it's often within the church too. It often ends up being one of the ways that, that we sort of think about our faith, that, that ultimately that the God of American religion wants above all else for me to be happy. And so I need to do some good, be nice to people, and God will bless me and give me an easy, nice, happy life. Now, happiness tends to be the lens through which we view everything. From the cars we drive, the clothes we wear, the things we eat, the stuff that we buy, and even the God that we confess we believe in. 
time and time again, it is all run through this lens of, will this make me happy? And so when we start reading the testimony of Scripture, and we encounter things that that maybe don't sound like they're going to make us all that happy, we'll maybe say things like, well, that was maybe true then. Maybe not for me now. Or maybe it's the, the extreme is, is when we read those things, it makes us doubt the God of the Scriptures altogether, that I could never believe in a God who would say something like that. I could never believe in a God who, who would say something I disagree with, something that conflicts with my sense of happiness. But I think the difficulty with that is, is if we have a God who never disagrees with us and what we think will make us happy, then I think that we're not actually worshiping God. We're probably worshiping ourselves. But what we encounter in Scripture is a God whose primary concern is not our happiness. It's not that our God is unconcerned with our happiness, but His primary concern is not our happiness. But as we read these words from John, what is the testimony of God's primary concern? It is your life. It is that you would have eternal life. Everything that God has done in history, everything He has caused to be written in Scripture is not about happiness. It's that you would know His righteousness, that you would be reconciled to Him and thereby receive eternal life. Jesus didn't suffer and die upon the cross for our happiness. He did it for our forgiveness that we would inherit eternal life. He didn't rise from the dead so that we could have every single thing we want. He rose from the dead so that we could inherit the one thing we need, and that's life. Life with Him in His kingdom. We have a God who wants far more than just our happiness. He wants us to receive the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. He wants us to live in a relationship with Him and experience life. He wants more than happiness. He wants us to receive life. You know, I think the thing that uh, helps me see this a little bit more clearly is, is actually being a parent. I have a daughter who uh, hates going to bed, like despises it. We'll, we'll avoid it at all costs. And, and it would make her incredibly happy to not go to bed at night, at least for a while until she would finally crash and burn. But, but my daughter would love to stay up until midnight every single night. And if I was only concerned about her happiness, I would say, all right. Do as you please. Go to bed at midnight. Eat mac and cheese for every single meal. That would make her incredibly happy. But my concern as her father is not primarily her happiness. It's her life. And so sometimes she's required to do things she would rather not do. Like go to bed at a reasonable time, now and then. 
or, or eat something that isn't macaroni and cheese. Because certainly I want my daughter, I want my family to be happy. But I also want her to be healthy. I want her to to succeed. I want her to be able to take care of her body and, and do the things that God has made her to do. And if I'm only concerned about happiness, then I'm going to disregard so many things that are good for her. We have a God who cares more about our lives than our happiness. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. This comes in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And it comes at the very end after Jesus gives this whole speech about worry and anxiousness. Right? Which certainly doesn't apply to us anymore today. And, and he says, hey, look. Look at the birds. They don't worry about what they're going to eat. God takes care of them. Or look at the flowers. They they don't worry about what they're going to wear, but they're clothed more beautifully than even King Solomon ever was. And Jesus says, if God takes care of them, if He provides what they need, don't you think He'll do the same for you? Aren't you of more value than the birds and the flowers? And then He concludes it saying, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. In other words, concern yourself with what really matters. Concern yourself with receiving the kingdom. Concern yourself with attaining the righteousness of God that we receive only through Jesus. And all that other stuff, God will handle that. And I think that includes your happiness. You see, here's what I believe, that if our concern is eternal life, seeking the things of God, seeking His righteousness, seeking His kingdom, seeking His will in all things, we will get happiness along the way. But if our only concern is happiness, we'll probably end up with none of it. So instead, seek the kingdom. Seek His righteousness. Seek His will in everything. And you'll find happiness along the way. It may not be the way you expected. I can guarantee it won't be in getting every single thing in life you ever wanted. But you know what it will be in? It'll be in learning to love the things that God loves. In learning to seek the things that He seeks. In learning to see every piece of your life fitting into a larger purpose and larger story that God is working in the world. It will be found even in suffering. Where we discover that the world can take everything else, but we still have Jesus. We still have His kingdom. We still have life. You know where I've seen this most clearly? It's at funerals. It's at funerals. And and particularly seeing it when I'm surrounded by people who are of the faith, who are mourning someone they've lost. And certainly there's grief. Certainly there's pain and, and, and there's hurt. But when people of faith come together 
and mourn the loss of someone they love. You know what else there is? There's hope. There's joy. There's peace. Sometimes even a little bit of happiness present in the face of death because they're able to gather together and speak the words of our faith in a God who desires that we would have eternal life. And therefore, we come together and we see that death is not the end, but that even this fits into God's larger purposes. Even this will be undone when He comes again to bring about His perfect kingdom. But on the other hand, when you gather together with people who have no faith, people whose lives are only wrapped up in happiness, death comes as an awful and painful interruption. There's only the hurt, only the grief, only the anger and the sadness. It's when we seek the kingdom of God, when we seek His righteousness, when we seek His life, we'll find happiness along the way. If we're concerned only with happiness, we'll probably wind up with neither. So we seek the kingdom. We seek His life. We seek His will. In fact, it's that seeking after the will of God is, what John, is entirely what John has to say about prayer. Verse 14, this is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. Right? If we pray anything according to His will, we'll receive it. God's purpose for us as we seek after that life that He promises, as we seek after His righteousness and His kingdom, as He conforms us more to His will. And His thoughts and His desires become our thoughts and our desires. As we become more concerned about the life He brings than the happiness and the things we desire. God wants to remake us in the image of His Son. Remake remake us according to His will and His purposes. May we discover a God who wants more for us. A God who wants more than just our happiness. A God who wants more than just to provide the things that we want the things we think we need, may we discover the God who provides what we really need. The God who gives to us His righteousness, who makes us right with Him, the God who has reconciled us to Himself. May we learn to love and seek after the God who has promised us more than happiness, but has given us eternal life. Amen? Amen.